Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. So it's already been taught this morning, would you be made whole? Would you? Would you be made whole? Paul is right at the tail end of not only his ministry in our text today in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's not just the end of his ministry, but his life is coming very rapidly to a close as he writes this letter to 2 Timothy, to, to Timothy it's his second letter. This is what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead, both the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. Tells Timothy, preach the word and be instant in season, out of season, reprove. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Fought a good fight. Finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Don't ever forget. On that great day, your judge is not tainted. He can't be bought out. He can't be swayed. We are going to stand before the righteous judge. The righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not only to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. It says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, For Demas hath forsaken, having loved this present world. He's writing a letter to Timothy, this young minister that he is mentoring, training, working with. He says, come see me before they bring my life to a screeching halt. For Demas is no longer anywhere to be found. I want to just preach to you a message that I've entitled, The Treasure in Your Field. I've preached messages about the treasure is in the field, but I'm not just talking about any field. I'm talking about your field. I'm talking about this church. This is our field. Sparta is our field. The extending areas around here. Walmart is our field. 
Your living room is our field. This church service today is our field. The treasure in your field. If you'll lay your Bibles down, say a quick word of prayer that the Lord would anoint this message today. And I'll allow you to be seated. Pray Precious Jesus, we love you today. <clears throat> Thank you, God, for your anointing, the power of the Holy Ghost that's in this place. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I've never prayed this prayer that I can remember before, but Lord, I pray right now for a convicting spirit to settle upon us today. Help us to understand, Lord, who we are, not just in ourselves, but in you. And the field is our responsibility. God, I'm praying right now in the name of Jesus that you would speak to every heart from youngest to eldest here today by your word and through your spirit. And would the church say amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. This letter that Paul wrote is interesting to me, mainly because of how multifaceted it is. There's a lot going on here in these 10 verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4. There is a first and foremost a charge that this elder this one that has proven himself, this one that has given everything and about even ready to give his life for the cause. There's a charge that is going forth from this man, this apostle, to young Timothy, and he wants him to be feel the, the weight of the mandate that he is passing on to, to him. But along with that, there is also some scripture in here where there is some direction that is given. Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Don't ever let it come a time where you're not prepared. Have yourself ready to answer anyone that would come to you asking about this great Messiah, Jesus Christ. Preach that word. Be ready at all times. Reprove with that word. Rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and, and doctrine. He gives him Direction gives them a charge, a challenge, but also mixed within these 10 verses is a warning. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But that's no excuse for you not to preach sound doctrine. Just because nobody wants to hear it anymore doesn't mean that, that the voice that is speaking it is not any longer important to be heard. Timothy, keep on preaching even when nobody's listening. Keep on preaching and using the truth and the doctrine even when nobody wants to hear it because this world must have a voice that is crying out into the darkness. They're going to turn away their ears from the truth. Instead, they're going to look towards somebody that will tell them a nice story. Watch down all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, make full proof by ministry. There's also an admission of a knowledge that he knows his life is coming to an end. He said, I'm now ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand. Timothy, don't, don't be sad about this because I also know that at the end of my life there is a reward that is awaiting me. See, I've fought this fight, and this fight's been a good fight. I think that's already been said today. 
I've fought this fight, and it's not been an easy fight, but it's been a necessary fight. And at the end of the day, I know that the fight that I have fought was a good fight. I was on the right side of things. I wasn't on the I wasn't on the team that had the most players. I, I may not have been on the team that had the greatest skill. There may have been giants on the enemy's side, but I'm telling you today, this fight that we are in, church, is a fight that is worth fighting. You are on the side of right. Don't ever get up, give up and back away just because the other side seems to be so much greater than you. You have a power within you that is mighty. So he says, I request a visit from you. Come see me. I don't have many days left. And then he finishes it up with a name that has for centuries now been used as, as an example of a backslidden state, a, an example of betrayal, somebody that walked away from the truth. He says, for Demas has forsaken me. There's a story that I, I, I ran across that I've saved for years. I've never used this story. I just happened to run across it. It's written in a book that is over 130 years old. It's called Acres of Diamonds. It's a true story about a man, so the story goes, by the name of Ali. This man went out and he purchased a farm. He, along with his wife and his children, purchased this farm and he began to work the ground, work the soil. And, you know, nobody goes into farming thinking that, that they're going to be poor. I think most people get into farming thinking that there's going to be money in it. But these days, unless you're a big farmer, there's not a whole lot of money in farming. Ali, he went into this farming business and he began to work the ground and plant his seed and do his best to provide for his family, but after years and years of struggling, just barely eking by, his family was just living on a subexistence. It was barely enough to eat. Their home was just a little shack that they could just barely have room for their children to sleep in with them. On that farm, he had an old plow. He had a, an old ox. He had an old barn and, of course, his field and his little shack. One day there happened by a traveler that stopped in and paid them a visit on his way through to another place. And with him he had a story about something that was going on someplace else around the world. And he began to tell Ali about the diamond rush, the diamonds that were being found oh, over in India. Ali's eyes got great big because this man was telling him, he said, literally, there are men going down there, and they're putting their hands down into the water and pulling out diamonds. They're going to the river poor and walking away wealthy men overnight. That sounded good to a poor farmer that was barely making ends meet. So Ali decided, because he was so intrigued by this story that he was going to sell his farm, sell his ox, sell his old barn. He did that. He sold everything that he had, and he gave his family just enough money for them to get by on until 
he planned on returning. He was going to go away, and he was going to make his riches, and he was going to come back and give his family a better life. And so he left his wife and his children behind. He told them goodbye, and away he went, and he traveled away to India and wound up eventually in Spain. And every time there was another story about somebody finding diamonds someplace, he would pick up and he would go to the next place, always looking where somebody else had been successful, but never finding success of his own. The day finally came when Ali's money ran out. He was flat broke, busted, and when he should have just saved a little bit of money and headed back home and tried to start over again, should have been happy to see his wife and his children again. The shame and the guilt, the feeling of failure so overcome him that the story says that he jumped into a river and ended his own life rather than go home. The irony of this story is that the man that bought his old farm plowed it, used the same plow that Ali had used, used the same ox, lived in the same shack. One day, a priest came by, stopped in to visit this man that had just purchased this this farm from from Ali, and the man that had purchased the farm was out plowing in his field, and he reached down, he kept pulling out these black rocks. He pulled out one, he said, it looked like it had a rainbow inside of it. So intrigued by the by the black stone, he took that that stone in and set it up on the mantle in, in his on, on his fireplace and and left it up there, and, and, and the day that the priest came by, they, they went into the house. He invited the priest in, and they sat down and began to talk. When all of a sudden, mid-sentence, the priest's eye fell upon that black rock upon the mantle, and he said, where did you get that? The man that had purchased the farm said, well, I picked it up out of the field out there as I was plowing. He said, they're all over the place. Priest looked at the man. He said, what you have on your hands is not some old black rock. He said, that is a diamond. Well, the two men walked out, and they began to walk through the field, and all over that field, that plow had turned over that dirt, and there were black rocks everywhere. Acres of diamonds that would become the world's most significant diamond find of its time, now known as the De Beer Diamond Mines. And it came about because a man didn't realize what was right underneath his feet. And he thought I could make better for myself somewhere else. If I walk away from what I have, I can leave this old field full of all these black rocks and go in search of diamonds elsewhere, not realizing what it was going to cost him. Sells it cheaply to another man who walks in still not realizing what it is until somebody finally came along and helped him understand that you are standing literally on a field of diamonds. 
I sometimes wonder if the church realizes the power that we have working within us. I sometimes wonder as a child of God if I sometimes walk through this world forgetting that I don't walk alone, but there is one that walks with me. There's one that dwells within inside of me. There's one that gives me power that I don't have on my own. There's one that says if you'll lay your hands upon the sick, they can recover in my name. There's one that walks with me and talks with me. This is the story of Demas. I've often wondered what happened to that guy. What happened to Demas? You don't hear him talked about anymore. Why could a young man by the name of Timothy remain true to the cause of the gospel while Demas somehow gets sidetracked? Demas buys into a lifestyle that has him chasing after something that's always eluding him. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever approached you with these get-rich-quick schemes that seem to work for everybody else but you? Anybody else ever have something happen to you that you just can't believe is happening? So it causes you to want to want to run off chasing it just a little bit more? Let, let me tell you, that's, that's, how, that's how the casinos work. Don't you know it, that when somebody wins, the only person that might win the whole night, it lets everybody in the place know and people start pulling in their walls. And they want to hear that sound at their own slot machine. I was in... Uh, I was in uh, Salem yesterday. I had a delivery to the hospital there, and I walked in. On my way out, I was a little bit hungry. So I decided I'm going to stop at the vending machine on the way out the door here and get myself some chocolate-covered donuts and something healthy like that. I don't like to eat garbage junk food. I, I want to eat the, the chocolate-covered ones. Chocolate's good for you. It's an antioxidant. And so I, I put my dollar in there, and I started pushing. It was, it was kind of one of those newfangled ones where you got to push the number, and then it tells you how much it is. And I was confused. I was getting really confused. How does this thing operate? And I put my dollar in there, and I punched the button, and nothing happened. So I looked back up, and it said, credit, $100. And I, I looked at it again. So finally, I, I figured out, I thought it was just misreading something. I, I finally figured out, and I punched the number, and, and out come my chocolate donuts, and that vending machine started spitting out quarters like, like a slot machine. It owed me $99 in quarters yesterday. It ran all the quarters out of that vending machine until I stood there with two hands full of quarters. I must have had $40 worth of quarters in my hand. I thought, is anybody looking? I didn't want to take a chance, so I turned around, did the right thing, said, God is looking. If nobody else is, God's looking. This ain't my money. And I walked back in there, and I said, hey, you're not going to believe this. They had a hard time believing it. They did. And that thing, they walked out there, and it was still trying to spit out quarters. It was making all the noises of spitting them out, but no more were coming out because I'd, I'd run it dry. Got one over on the house. I had to give it all back away. It's, it was too good to be true. 
How many times? That's never happened. I've been on this world for almost 55 years, and I've eaten at a lot of vending machines, and I have never put a dollar in, and it told me that, it, that I had $100 worth of credit. Demas got sidetracked. He ran well for a while, but something hindered him. Something Something called his name and he began to listen. Something that Paul does not pinpoint other than just saying he loves this present world. He's not thinking about the future, Timothy. He's not thinking about eternity. All Demas could think about was what can you do for me today? What can I get out of life today? Demas ran off and left this glorious gospel when things got a little heated, when things got a little bit tough, and he saw a better way of living someplace else, or so he thought. He can only see the here and now. And the siren song that sin plays is so pleasing to the flesh that if a person isn't careful, they can be lured into thinking that there's more to be had than what they have in their own feet. Do you know we would not be able to fit everybody into this church if everybody that had walked into this field and began planning something had stayed? Where are the people? You know why I kind of I kind of got to where I quit doing the end of the year videos? Because I kept looking at them, and I seen all the people that come in. And we expect them to have this good life and, and understand the value of what God can do for them in their life. But somewhere along the way, by the end of the year, we go and look at the videos, and they're gone, and they're gone, and what happened to them, and where did they go, and they no longer live for the Lord. What happens? I'm telling you, the spirit of demons, the siren song of sin, begins to whisper into their ear, and they begin to hear things, and they begin to follow things that do not keep them in their field. Sometimes it is hard to see the beauty of what is right in front of our face. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of coming to church and going through the motions. I'm guilty of it. I think most of us are. Sometimes we come in, we don't feel good. Uh, sometimes we come in, we're just tired. Last week was one of those weeks we lost that hour of sleep. We went home thinking, man, it, it, was, a little, it was a little dry in there today. I said, hey, everybody was tired. We're all sleepy including me. I don't care how sleepy I am. When I get to Disneyland, I wake up. When I get to an amusement park or someplace that I know that I'm going to experience something great, there's something about that that gets my blood flowing. Why can't I feel that same way when I walk into the house of God? You know, knowing that when I come here, I can expect God to move in our midst, that somebody's going to be healed. That's exciting to me. Why can't I have that mindset? I'm telling you, today, I've got to rethink my way of thinking, and I've got to go back to a place where I think like Timothy, and I begin to work according to Paul's doctrine, and I begin to worship God no matter how I feel, and expect God to provide everything that he wants to provide.
Paul wants him to see that what he has is worth everything. Timothy, don't be a Demas. Don't run after things thinking that it's better over there, that it's easier over there. Oh, it may be easier for a moment, but this life is like a vapor. It's short. When you're five and six, it doesn't seem short. When you're 56, it seems short. Most of you here today that are older than me, you could take me back in your memory and talk about what it was like in your childhood and who your best friends were and the things you did for fun and, and, and the hills that you slid down on on a snowy day and all the kind of different memories. It seems like yesterday because in comparison to eternity, it was yesterday. Paul values Timothy. Treasures in your field, Timothy. Don't, don't go looking someplace else. I've seen preachers. I've seen, I've seen the whole churches walk away from the gospel doctrine, the solid foundation, because there seemed like there was an easier way someplace else. I've seen great orators get so wrapped up in their own talents that they forgot that they were called by a holy God, and they threw his holiness out, and they decided to go with the lesser doctrine. They decided to be a Demas instead of a Timothy. I ask myself, why do people walk away from God? What is this that lures them after things that only leave them broken and destitute? Where music come today? The only thing that I can think of is because they began to listen to the wrong voices. Uh, that's just the preacher preaching again. That's just the youth pastor telling us we ought to live right, we ought to do right, we ought to love Jesus, we ought to pray more, we ought to fast more. Oh, I don't really care for that song. That's not the one that gets me going, so I'm just going to, nah. They hit the wrong note or... So-and-so showed up, and I don't really care for them. Or We lose sight of the importance of our field. And we began to look and listen to voices that are calling us away from where God has called us to. Sister Joy Haney told the story of a young lady traveling in the northeastern states. The weather was blisteringly cold. There was a blast of Arctic air had come in and brought with it snow and sleet. She was traveling on a train along with her small baby. She was nervous because she didn't travel that much. and She was nervous about missing her stop. And um, she spoke to the conductor. She said, sir, would you please help me? He said, I, I'm on this train traveling. I'm, I'm kind of new to this. I'm afraid I'm going to miss my stop. There are people that are waiting for me and my child, and they're going to take care of us and take us in. 
conductor said, absolutely, ma'am. I'll make sure that you get off at the correct stop. Conductor walked out of the rail car that she was traveling in, and that's when a stranger from across the aisle said, excuse me, miss. I noticed that you're quite anxious about missing your stop. I, I travel this road all the time, this, this route all the time. I'm on this train all the time. I wouldn't trust the conductor if I were you. You see, he's got this whole train to run. He's got all these other passengers to deal with. Oftentimes, they can they can get just kind of their mind can be scattered. And he said, "Because I I run this route all the time, I'll, I'll I'll let you know when it's time." You see, there's a certain stop at a certain particular location, and your stop that you want to get off is the one right after that said it with such confidence that she immediately relaxed and thought, okay, I've got two people that are supposed to watch out for me. If the conductor doesn't come in, got this stranger here who seems to know what he's talking about, and so she, she just relaxed and sat back. They came to the one particular stop, and he said, okay, the next time this train stops, that's where you're supposed to get off. This is, your stop is the next stop. So they traveled a few more miles, and the train all of a sudden began to slow down. Eventually, it came to a stop. The stranger even helped the woman and her child off, off the train. Hopped back on the train. The train belched some smoke and began to travel on down the track some more. See ya. few more miles down the road, the train comes to a stop again. The conductor walks inside to the rail car, and he says, excuse me, sir, has anybody seen the, that, that young lady that was here with the small child? The stranger said, yeah, I, I saw her. He said, I knew you'd forget. He said, you're so busy. He said, so I helped her off the train. You missed her stop. He said, that was an emergency stop. That was no stop at all. He said, that we just stopped there for an emergency, and then we kept on. You have left her out in this cold weather with nothing to protect her. The conductor made the executive decision. We got to back up. We got to go rescue her. Put that train in reverse and began to back it up. And when it finally got back to where it was, they found the young lady and her child sitting in the snow, frozen to death. Be careful which voices you're listening to. Because there are voices out there that will tell you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to listen to that. You don't have to be a part of that. I'll even help you. What they don't tell you is I'm helping you off to your place of demise. When the world offers you a helping hand of assistance, you better be wary. When somebody comes along and says, listen, you don't, that's for way back then. You don't have to deal with all. You better go to the Word of God and see what the ultimate conductor of your life has to say about it. Who is conducting your life? Would you stand with me today? I know this is somewhat sobering.
was to me as I was putting it together today. I know that I'm mostly preaching to the choir. I know that most of you, you got your act together. And so I'm not really reaching out to you so much as maybe more just like a reminder. Don't forget what you have. Don't forget the value of being able to gather together. Don't you know there's Ukrainians right now that would love to be right here? I watched the videos of some of those church folks over there right in the midst of the bombing and shelling, still coming to church and having church, wondering if at any moment that could be the last time they're able to worship the Lord. I don't want to forget, take for granted, the power that is in this place. Simply when we just say the name Jesus. Oh, I know, we like to get a anointed, and we think that by screaming it louder and louder and saying it with fervor that we're anointed, all you need really is just to whisper that beautiful name for that presence to sweep into the house and begin to meet the needs. Whose voices are you listening to? Don't listen to the voice of the stranger. Don't listen to the voice that tells you, your pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. And the word of God is old and antiquated and outdated. Don't listen to the voice that says there's another way. When Jesus says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. God, convict us. Convict us. Help us understand. There's diamonds in this field. I may not be able to see them as diamonds right away. They're unrefined. To most people, they just look like a black rock that's in the way, something to be discarded, cast aside. But God, you see them for what they are. You see the people in this town that are waiting to be searched out and found and brought out of the field. Lord, you see those today that are rough and unrefined. God, but once you put your hand upon them, but Lord, you need us to be that part. God, you need us to understand, Lord, that this is our field and there are diamonds in this field that are waiting to be discovered. There's diamonds in this room. I feel the Lord prompting me to invite those that need something in your body, a touch, to come forward. I'm going to ask the ministers to gather around and I want them to begin to pray. I don't want to just preach about it and then walk away from it. I want to leave chains, and I want you to feel the power and the anointing of an almighty God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly all that we can ask or even think. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.